We're glad to have you guys with us this evening. We are starting a brand new series called More Than Tall Tales. And the idea is we are looking at some stories throughout the summer that if you grew up in the church or you went to vacation, Bible school, those kinds of things, you've probably heard them before. It's not new. But what happens a lot is we take these stories and we kind of think of them almost like fairy tales. Like they end up in the same category as Hansel and Gretel and the rabbit and the tortoise race, right? That's a thing. Tortoise and the hare, that's the one. Yeah, uh, that's the one. And, and we know them and there's probably a moral in there, but, but if we believe the scriptures are teaching us and shaping us and they have something to say to us, then we need to re-examine these things from time to time. And so we're going to look at a few. Tonight we're going to look in Genesis chapter 12. You can turn there if you'd like. Next week we're going to uh, spend some time reflecting on creation. Um, and we're going to worship outside, as Pastor Mark said, to bring a lawn chair. Um, and we're going to talk about some characters in the Bible, all kinds of stuff. It's going to be interesting and fun, I hope, and, and be meaningful to us. And we'll hear some stories and hopefully see them with new eyes for our current situation. So if you have not heard this story, let me catch you up. God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was wonderful and good and perfect. People were walking around naked. And then, hum- yeah, it's weird, isn't it, Bella? Yeah. And then humanity screwed it up. We, we chose to rebel against God, do our own thing. We, we didn't trust God. And so we brought with our rebellion a curse that changed things. And we lived in shame and fear of each other. And the first people had kids, and their kids murdered each other. So we go quickly from perfection to murder. And the first 11 chapters of Genesis is us getting it wrong over and over and over again. And God, even at one point, uh, bringing a flood of judgment against humanity and that everything's just kind of dark and bleak and ugly. We are a mess left to our own devices. For those of you that are parents, if you left your children alone in the house, what would happen, Christian? Yeah, right. (laughs) Jesus would need to come. And that's exactly what's happened. Like the earth is a mess. And we're horrible people. And into that depressing, dark, messiness of humanity, God speaks and calls and begins to work again, trying to redeem and restore and bring his people back to him. And so um, this story uh, is the beginning of God again trying to woo humanity back into right relationship with him. So this is the call of Abram. Later his name will change to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse, and those who curse you I will curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. Abraham left just as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all their possessions, and those who became members of their household in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. This is the word of the Lord. Have you heard this story? The call of Abram? Once God speaks... 
says leave home, and Abraham's like, Abram, I'm going to call him Abraham because it's been drilled in my head as Abraham. God says go, and he's like, okay, I'll go. And he packs up and he leaves. But it's kind of crazy to think that you would leave everything you've ever known, all your family, pack up all your stuff, and head somewhere that you've never seen. Right? Like that does, that's not normal. To hear a voice, to have the stirring of God. Uh, how many of you have ever felt like God has told you to do something? Let's like, this God. And how many of you have ever, let's be honest, pushed back a little bit on that? Yeah, right? Because that's what happens typically. Like, God, are you sure? I don't know. And so I, we leave some of that out here. I'm guessing that Abraham wondered, did I really hear the voice of God or did I eat some bad chili? Like, what was it? I'm sure there were, he went to prayer. I'm sure that he talked with his wife. I'm sure that he talked with his parents. I, I, I imagine that he had to wrestle with this for some time. And I don't think that shows a lack of faith. I think that's just trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. He's 75 years old. You accumulate a lot of stuff in 75 years. He's going to pack it all up. He's going to leave his parents. He, he, at this point, we find out later in the book of Joshua that Abram, Abram's parents were war- worshiping false gods. So he's giving up his worldview, his religion, his lineage. They probably had some ancestor worship. Like he's walking away. I want you to think, what would it take for you to completely change your entire worldview, your family, your location, your religion, everything you do? Like this is a radical change in Abraham. It's not just, oh, sure, you know, let's go on a road trip. No, this is completely transforming who he is, everything he knows. He's going to spend years and years wandering around the wilderness. He's going to, at times, struggle. Here's good news. He listened. That's great. Live up to Abraham's call. Here's the the good news. He did it poorly at times. He messed up. There were times when he lacked the faith that God wanted, and he made bad choices, and he lied, and he gave his wife away to Pharaoh. I mean, he, he messes up from time to time. But Abraham, for whatever reason, left. He listened. He packed up his stuff, his wife, his household, and he set out for the land of Canaan. It's a pretty impressive accomplishment. Why, Abraham, would you leave? Well, God promised to make me a great nation. Abraham has no children at this time, 75 years old. So there's not much of a lineage there that's going to be passed down. I'm, my thought, my, as, I was, as I was reading this this week, I'm, I'm not convinced that Abraham knew what God was going to do. That maybe it'd be through his friends through his nephew Lot. Maybe that's why he brings Lot in. If I bring Lot, then through Lot, my lineage will continue, and then I'll become a great nation. But Abraham chooses to go, and I believe Abraham chooses to go because of that verse we recited together. Because he believed that God was good, that his loyal love lasts forever, and that his faithfulness continues from generation to generation. That even though Abraham had no idea where he was going, that he had no idea what was going to happen when he got there, that he had no idea what God wanted to do, that he was going to give him a son at the age of 100. I mean, I don't think Abraham had the imagination for what God was going to do in his life. Angels will show up and say, you're going to have a kid. And Sarah laughs. 
because that's what you do when you're old, right? Like, I would laugh. Actually, I'd probably cry <laughs> if I just showed, showed up and said I was going to have a kid. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, yeah, I just, I got to take a moment. So that's scary. I, I, I couldn't even imagine what God was going to do. In fact, his imagination was so poor that he took matters into his own hand. God said, you're going to have a kid. And then he took his wife's servant. And had a kid through her. Because he just, he could not wrap his head around what God was going to do. And so he, he was completely unsure of what was going to happen. He was uncertain about what the future held. And yet, he went anyway. Because what he was certain in was not the future, not the outcome, not what God promised. But he was certain in who God was. That's the difference. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know how I'm going to become a great nation. But I do know that I trust this God. And so to me, that's the invitation to all of us. We have no clue what's going to happen. We are not promised anything. We, we have no idea what God wants to do or what's going to show up in our lives. Big things, small things, scary things, awesome. We have no clue. But the call to us is to follow after this God and to do what this God says and just say, though I'm unsure, I'm going to go anyway. Because I'm sure that this God is good, that his loyal love lasts forever, and his faithfulness lasts from generation to generation. God calls us to things that are hard and difficult and scary. Sometimes it's to move to new places. One time God called me to Kentucky. Actually, I do think that was the chili. Um, <laughs> or he might call you to be a part of a church plan or he might call you to, to move to Wichita, Amber he might call you <laughs> just, he might call us to stop he might call us to start to go and all of these things require some level of trust God doesn't just we're not just in this world left to our own devices that's the first response to, to God in the beginning of Genesis we're just going to do it on our own but God's active and alive, and he shows up, and he's calling us, and he wants to help us. He's for us. He has something for us. It's not just, well, let's try and be comfortable and get a big house and fancy cars and, and enjoy life. There are purposes and plans. God wants to use us in far greater ways than we could ever possibly imagine. We don't know what it looks like. We don't even necessarily know where we're going or how we'll get there. My own story of calling, I had no desire to be a pastor. And some days, <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with the church. And I think if I could have seen where I'm at now, I think I would have run away harder from what God wanted to do in my life. But God just wanted me to go a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And I was slowly, eventually tricked into being a pastor. Because <laughs> had he just said, I want you to be a pastor, and you're going to eventually plant a church and... I, I absolutely, I would have rejected, I was in full-fledged rebellion. I'd have had no part of it. But what God wanted to do in my life was better than I could imagine. And so that first step, that first yes that Abraham takes, we are invited to take. What does God want to do in me? Then yes. Where does God want me to go? Then yes. One step. I don't know. I'm unsure. I'm uncertain where I'm going. Or what's going to happen. But I am sure in the God who's called me. 
And I will go and do whatever that God has asked me to do because when I follow that God, then none of the rest matters. See, Abraham, he's called by God. He's going to wander a really long time. And from this moment till his son Isaac shows up, it's 25 years. I doubt, I don't know, the scripture doesn't say that God showed up every day for those 25 years and said, hey, just a reminder, you're going to have a son. I'm going to make you a great nation. Just a reminder. Um, I'm guessing that God showed up from time to time. I'm guessing there were times when Abraham had built an altar and he saw it over there and he was like, oh yeah, I, I remember that. But I'm guessing like most of us, he heard from God in really powerful ways sometimes. And there were days when Abraham woke up and was like, God, are you there? What are we doing? I'm confused. I'm lost. I'm scared. I'm tired. I'm impatient. Did I hear you wrong? Was it the chili? I'm guessing there were days when Abraham was like, maybe we should pack up and go back home. You have a lot of chili. I do eat a lot of chili. (laughs) That is the truth, Bella. I'm guessing that you and I have days like that, right? Where we know, I, I know I heard from God there and there, and I remember that. But that doesn't mean that there are days when I don't want to wake up and just go back home, pack all my stuff up, call it in, quit, go my own way, take matters into my own hands like Abraham does and, and take a shortcut. But that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to faithfulness, and sometimes that faithfulness is a really long and painful and hard journey. Sometimes it's terrifying. Sometimes, it, maybe most times, it's way slower than we could ever want. But the yes and the following and the stepping after, those things develop in us character and faithfulness. We grow and we learn. We develop the fruit of the Spirit of God within us. The process is a part of the point. If God just gave us everything we prayed for right when we prayed for it, we'd just be a bunch of spoiled brats. We have to learn and grow. We have to say yes and step, even when we're unsure, even when we don't know, even when it's scary and hard and we're going to a new land and to a new place where God is doing something that we can't even possibly imagine. I mean, I think so much we we look around and we're like, God, look at this mess. Are you kidding me? Look at these people. Look at my life. We might think God has abandoned us. We might think that God has forgotten us or that we've heard wrong. I was thinking this week, on June 19th, we celebrate Juneteenth. Have you heard of Juneteenth? It's when two and a half years after Abraham Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation, two and a half years after the slaves were set free, the Union Army showed up in Texas and was like, by the way, y'all are free. Two and a half, like... They lived in slavery for two and a half years. And there are stories of people who were so far off the grid that there there was slavery going on for a lot longer than the law had said. And I just, I think sometimes we're completely unaware of the fact that we've been set free or that God's at work or that the, the, the Union Army is just around the corner and we're only seeing our situation right now, the pain we're in. But, but God's at work and God is trustworthy and faithful. His loyal love lasts forever continues from generation to generation. The thing I'm wondering is what does God want for us? What does God want to do in us, in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in this church? 
in our workplaces? What things is he asking us? And what, what things are we afraid of or scared to try? What things are new and what things are difficult and what things are so comfortable? See, comfort is addictive. <laughs> I, I like to be, I mean, I, I'm not Abraham. I have not accumulated 75 years worth of stuff, but I've accumulated a lot of stuff that I like. It's all in my basement full of water. And <laughs> we do that in our lives. We accumulate and we're comfortable and these are my friends and my circle and I like things to go this way and church that way and I like my bank account to have more than it does. And we look at our situation and it's uncomfortable and we're uncertain and we're, we live in this in-between time where we're not quite where we want to be and we're unsure. And the, the trick is not to get out of it. The trick is to be faithful in it. To get up and follow and go even when it doesn't make sense and even when it's hard and even when it's going to cost me my comfort, my position, my, my certainty. See, I think there are times when Abraham doubted, and I think doubt is perfectly part of the Christian faith. Because faith and doubt coexist together. It's faith and certainty that sometimes we struggle with. Certainty can become an idol. The older I get, the more things I like laid out in a plan, in a time, in a and I, I didn't used to be this way, but I got married and she ruined me. And I want to know. I want to have a plan. And that just, God does not work on our time. And so if I wait for God to explain it all and show me, and here, let's draw a map. Where's Canaan? And how am I going to become a great nation? And what are you going to do through my kids? And how's that going to go? And what do, Then that's me being in control. That's not me walking in faith to what God has called me to do. Am I... Am I Shortcutting what God wants to do in me and my family and our church because I want God to lay it out in a certain way and I'm not going to take one step forward until everything is perfectly planned and in place and there's backup plan B and C. Or am I going to say, if God's calling me, if God had called me 25 years ago, if God's beckoning me or asking me to start or to stop or to go, am I willing for that to be enough? Am I so convinced that this God is good and faithful and his loyal love lasts forever that I will do the hard thing, which is sometimes just taking the very first step or not giving up and going back home, not shortcutting what God wants to do? There's a story of a guy named Jason Brown. He was a center for the St. Louis Rams in the NFL. He was the highest paid center. He had a $37 million contract. And a few years ago, he retired from the NFL in his prime, because he thought that God told him to go start a farm. And he's dumb, right? <laughs> Pay somebody to farm. <laughs> you got $37 million. He said, my agent tried to talk me out of it. My family thought I was crazy. But I really felt like God told me to go start a farm. And so he started First Fruits Farm. And the, he didn't know how to farm. He grew up in the city. So he learned how to farm on YouTube. He watched YouTube videos, learned how to farm. Amen. And the whole point, yeah, Aaron learns everything on YouTube. That's why you shouldn't cancel his membership. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cancel the YouTube membership. There's no ads. Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> and this, so Jason Brown learns how to farm on YouTube. He probably had the subscription because he made $37 million. <laughs> and, he, and he retires at the prime of his career. Doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's not what I would encourage my children to do. <laughs> Take the money. You can farm later. But this is what God asked me to do. And so he went and did it. And his first year, the whole point of his farm is to provide food to people who are hungry. And so the first year, the first harvest, they donated 130,000 pounds of produce. And he said, I might not look successful in the eyes of the world. He's got to worry about paying bills now. And how, how am I going to afford this? And he's contingent on the weather. He said, but I have never felt more success than what I feel now. It doesn't make sense. He had, a, he had worked his whole life to get to the NFL. So few people get to be a part of that. And I imagine when he retired, he had days when he was like, oh, Lord, what did I do? If it doesn't work out at the farm, these YouTube videos led me wrong, maybe I can go back. But he knew that God had called him, and so he took the step. And on days when it rained too much, or not enough, that knowing and believing that what God had called him to was worth it. And, and the trick is, is it, is it worth it even if the harvest doesn't come? I mean, it's great when it's a success story, 130,000 pounds, but what if it wasn't? Is it worth it? Well, if God is good and faithful and his loyal love lasts forever, then yes. I'm going to go and I'm going to step. And, and if this church never grows beyond this group, is it worth it? Yeah, absolutely. Because God is good and faithful and he's doing things. We have no idea. There was a church plant in Missouri. And it went, it started, they had one person come to faith in Jesus and it closed. That's not a very successful story. But that one person, it changed their whole life. And that person was called into ministry. And that person has planted like 20 churches now. It's pastoring a church of I don't know how many billion people. Because we have no idea what God is going to do out there. Our response is, what are we going to do right here? What is the step? What, what, is the, what is he asking of me? It might not look like success in the eyes of the world. It might not be comfortable, but it's our certainty is in him, not in our situation, our bank account, the plan. Uh, another story of, of God doing incredible things is a guy named John Hackett. Have you heard of John Hackett? Didn't think so. I got a picture of him. Handsome gentleman there. John Hackett was born in 1871 to a very poor family. And at age nine, he dropped out of school to go work full-time. Ben, you want to go to work full-time? No. He worked at a glass factory 12 hours a day at age nine. This is before we had labor laws and terrible things like that. Um, just kidding. Put the kids to work. Uh, eventually, he had to go to night school because they passed a law that kids did require need an education. So he went to night school. He became a barber. He was a barber for 20 years. Uh, then he started getting into politics. He became an alcohol and tobacco salesman. And around that time, the, the prohibition movement started gaining steam. And if you're an alcohol salesman and people are preaching prohibition, you obviously are going to have some struggles, right? And so the churches really led the, the movement towards prohibition for our country, which is the lack of alcohol sales for those of you who didn't pay attention in history class. And he grew to, to hate the church. Had a real he just, the church was too political, which it is. Um, he grew just 
animosity. And so they found out that this lady was coming to preach a revival, Mrs. Anna Wells. And Anna Wells was going to preach. And so him and four of his buddies were going to show up at the church to heckle Anna Wells, which would be fantastic, I think. Just people heckling me from the back. Anyway. Um, Thank you, Eli. And so they show up not in the mood to worship or hear from God, or, but they're, they're angry. They think the church is dumb and ridiculous, and they show up, and God moves through Miss Anna Wells, and John Hackett and his buddies all gave their life to Christ. And it totally changed him. He was like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. He ended up going into ministry. He became a prison chaplain. Eventually, he went and pastored a small church um, for a number of years. And then he felt God call him to go to Camden, New Jersey. Heather, you've been there. It's not the safest neighborhood in the world. It's regularly one of the most dangerous cities in the country, full of poverty. And when they showed up there, with, they had four little girls. One of their daughters said, we cannot live here. This is not okay. It's dangerous. Where are we going to get our food from? There's not a church. But John said, God has asked us to come here. We're, this is what we're going to do. And so it was difficult and hard. And again, I'm sure there were days when they were like, let's leave. There are other places we could go. Other things we could do. But they stayed faithful. One day, John's wife was looking out, and she saw two kids picking through their trash, looking for food to eat. And they said, this is not okay. We have got to do something about this. So they started feeding kids, and they started uh, within the – I had the statistics here because it was crazy. Within the first few weeks, they started feeding hundreds of kids. They had or 75 kids a day within the first week. Just hungry kids on the street. The Great Depression hits – so then they start feeding families and giving baskets full of groceries to anybody that needed it. Uh, at one point, there was an entire town in the winter. And it was a clamming town down by the Delaware River, and the river had stayed frozen too long, and they were starving and out of work. And, and the, this little community that they had formed, this little mission, that was feeding 75 kids and families, they, they saved an entire town of 800 people and fed them throughout the winter. 800 people. At one point, they took the kids. There were 3,500 kids that they knew and loved from the city of Philadelphia, from Camden. And they had met these kids. They were poor. and They had nothing. And they took them down to the New Jersey shore for a day trip to go to the beach. They took 3,500 children to the beach in one day, which is that's just awful. God, please don't call me to that. <laughs> they opened a mission home in the old post office. It became one of the largest homeless shelters in the entire state. Here was a report they gave to, their, to the governing body, 1933. 255,000 meals were served during the year. 44,750 beds were slept in. 350 men, women, and children sheltered with, when floods drove them from their homes. 25 families saved from eviction. 25 families aided that had been evicted. Five funeral expenses paid when families were unable to meet the expense. Two families whose homes were destroyed by fire were aided in rebuilding. An appeal for a blood transfusion, which saved, saved a woman's life. 100 men and women placed in employment. 40 homes furnished with necessities. 20 stoves provided for families. 2,500 eyeglasses supplied to the needy. Hundreds of person clothed. 
Housen fed at least 100 men daily. And at, during February, we had 225 homeless men under the roof of the post office. I imagine when John was called, he had no idea that this would be kind of impact he had. Also, this church that formed there, wasn't, it had 75 people enrolled in Sunday school this same year. So it wasn't like it was a large church or a rich church. It was just a church of people who were willing to do whatever God asked and to say yes. And in uncertain times and the in-between and the scary and God called us 25 years ago or God called us way back then or how is this, how are we going to pay our bills or what's going to happen if we give this? They just kept saying yes because they trusted. They were certain in the God who called them, not in their circumstances, their comfort, their bank accounts. Their faithfulness as a community impacted more than they could ever have possibly imagined. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, just feeding 75 kids a day is harder than I can. I mean, that, that's enough. I imagine when John moved to Camden, he had no clue that this would be the legacy of the mission there. What could God do with us? What does God want to do? What, are we not what do we not even have the imagination or the words for? But we just need to keep saying the yes to. This, this, this group is still here. They're still active in New Jersey. This mission meets. And they now have a nursing home. They treat people with dementia. They have transitional housing. They have a, home, uh, they have a day daycare for adults with developmental disabilities. And they take them in and they give them dignity and worth and love them so their loved ones can go to work. I mean, it's an incredible legacy that John Hackett has, who wasn't looking for God but found him, and then who answered yes to God, whatever God called him to do. That's, his leg that's the church's legacy. John Hackett's legacy is a little bit more. John Hackett would pass his ministry to his daughter. <clears throat> Sorry, it's allergy season. <laughs> His daughter would pastor the mission. She would pass it to her son. He would pastor the mission. John Hackett had four kids. His daughter had six kids. She passed it to her, one of her sons. Her son had six kids. His kids, three of them became pastors. One of them at that church. Then that kid had four kids. And I'm one of those four kids. That's my great-great-grandpa. Told you he was good-looking. <laughs> yeah. I think we have similar eyebrows and the neck. Um, I have... This is my story. And I can't imagine that John Hackett had any idea that the one day there'd be a Chris Gilmore. <laughs> and if he had, I'm guessing he would have said, no, God. <laughs> but because of his faithfulness and his yes to God, whatever God asked him to do, does pass down to my great-grandma and to my grandpa and to my parents, my aunts and uncles. This is the legacy of John Hackett. And so Wiley Mission is still meeting in South Jersey, caring for needs, and it's extended beyond that. I've got an uncle that pastors in Michigan, one in Chicago, one in North Carolina. We're here in Wichita. Like, this has to be more than John Hackett ever imagined. And not that pastoring is the only way to pass down a legacy, 
But what could God do in us, in our families? Not just biological, but church families. What could God do with those we encounter? What if, what if we get to be the person that encounters the next John Hackett? And they find the grace and truth of God because they saw it in us. And someday their kids and their kids and their kids. And they say, well, how did it all start? And they're like, well, I just ran into that one Robert guy. He told me about Jesus. I mean, we have no idea what God is up to and could do through us, in us, with us. We have no idea how this all shakes out in the end, but we are invited in the meantime, in the uncertainty, in the unknowing, to say yes. Even when it's scary and hard and difficult and doesn't make sense. Even when we can't see the fruit of our faithfulness. Abraham said yes and went and wandered the wilderness as a nomad, left home and gods and family for 25 years. Had no idea that one day there'd be people who called themselves the children of Abraham. We have no idea what God wants to do in us, for us, and with us. Some of us are facing hard and difficult things, scary, almost insurmountable. Some of us want to give up, just throw in the towel. Some of us, maybe we just should move to the mountains and never talk to anybody again. Amen. And, yeah, okay. <laughs> the bus leaves at 8. <laughs> But unless God's called us to that, that will not bring us the peace that we're searching for. Unless that's the yes that God wants from us, it doesn't matter what we do or how much money we have or the friendships we make or where we live or what kind of church we If it's not what God has asked us to do, it will end up fruitless and empty. But if God has asked us to say yes, we can walk away from NFL contracts and we can walk away from secure things and we can walk away from comfort and certainty trusting and believing that this God who called us is faithful and good and his loyal love lasts forever his faithfulness lasts from generation to generation maybe you and I won't be Abraham or John Hackett or Jason Brown Mother Teresa. But that's all right. We're not called to be those people. We're called to be ourselves. We're called to say yes. We're called to more. If you have a pulse, God has something he wants to do with you and for you and through you. We are called to go further. We are called to go higher. One of, the, one of the things we sometimes believe in the church is that you believe in Jesus and you say a prayer, say to, you said a prayer, and you're good. Just hold on until Jesus shows back up. There is work to be done in us. We are not perfect, especially like this side of the room. God wants to bring his character to fruit in our lives, make us more and more like him. And God wants to use us to then impact and spill over and rub up against all those in the world who need grace and truth in their lives. And so Kristen's going to come and we're going to sing a song.
And it says, you've called me higher and you've called me deeper. We could just stay where we are. Abraham could have stayed at home. And I am also convinced of this, that God doesn't say, hey, you blew it back there. I'm done with you. I think God keeps coming after us and chasing us and and wooing us. And and when you've blown it, there is grace and there are more and more opportunities. Our God is a God of second chances. Otherwise, I'd be out a long time ago. So whether you feel like you've blown it or you feel like you've been blowing it or you feel like you're going to blow it, our God is good and faithful. His loyal love lasts forever from generation to generation. And so let's not just stay where we are. Let's not stay where we are currently in our faith. I'm here. I'm comfortable. I'm good. Let's ask God to push us further, teach us more, change us, transform us. God wants to do that in us and it will be to our benefit. And God wants to use us. God wants wants to change the world. I hope someday there's some weird pastor or some weird person who tells a story and they trace their lineage all the way back to you. Because your faithfulness changes the world. We can't see it yet. We might not ever see it. But we trust and believe that the God who's called us is faithful and good. So I invite you to stand. You can stand. We're going to sing this song, and I would just like you to spend a moment or two in prayer asking God, what do you want from me? Who do I need to talk to? What do I need to do? How can I go? Or do I need to stay? Do I need to stop or start? God, uh, I'm surrendering my uncertainty. Whatever it is, deal with him. Speak to him as we sing this song. And then we're going to come back together and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper and we'll be reminded of the goodness of this God. The Lord is good. His loyal love lasts forever. I've said it a lot. But if you don't hear anything else from me, and the entire time you know me, that's what I want you to know. Lord is good. We can trust the God who calls us. In the midst of hard and difficult and uncertain, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of quiet, in the midst of God, where are you, our God?